you do like the feeling of power you have as a newspaper proprietor of being able to sort of formulate policies for a large number of newspapers in every state of Australia? Well, there's only one honest answer to that, of course, and that's yes. Of course one enjoys the feeling of power. The newspaper can create great controversies, stir up uh, arguments within the community, discussion, it can throw light on injustices, just as it can do the opposite. It can hide things uh, and be a great power for evil. It's not a perfect system, obviously, but can you think of a better one? Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Murdocracy, a podcast that keeps an eye on on the news and influence of News Corp, the most influential media company in the Western world. I am Cam Wilson. And I am Sammy Shaw. Hey, Sammy. How are you today? I'm all right. Uh, I could be better. It's been a weird morning of news, basically. I think everyone, you know, as we're recording this, I think everyone kind of has been reeling from the sudden shock announcement that Shane Warne has died of a heart attack in Kosamui. Uh, I also woke up in the morning and there was a terror attack in Pakistan at a Shia mosque, which killed something like 54 people. Um, and then you've got, you know, Ukraine and nuclear power plants. And it's one of those mornings where I'm genuinely questioning the wisdom of waking up at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I woke up at uh, 2.30 in the morning. just I could hear my dog scratching. And that's when I kind of checked my phone and I saw the news had come out then. And I was shocked about Shane Warne because um, it was kind of like when Kobe died. Kobe Bryant, the basketball player, died mm-hmm. last year. Shane Warne still seemed, you know, very young. He isn't playing yes. anymore, obviously, but you know, he he was still, uh, you know, seemed pretty fit and, and around. And and more importantly, he was kind of still active in our lives. Like he would appear, like in the media. You know, he was commentating. He would pop up every now and again. Uh, you know, you'd see him on the Daily Mail or something. He still felt very much a part of Australian culture. And so for him to like, you know, suddenly die, um. I, I mean, you know, all, all deaths or most deaths are kind of come as a shock, but still, particularly to me, I'm like, wow. You know, my, my one interaction with Warney probably doesn't actually paint me in a particularly flattering light, but I think it actually shows <laughs> quite a nice side of him. I, um, uh, last year, just kind of when we were all bored, stuck in a lockdown, uh, uh, the Brazilian president, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, was kind of sick again. And, you know, it's a bit of a meme. He seems to be the like world's sickest man, always catching COVID or other things. He had, uh, mo- he had COVID more times than anyone. Basically. Yeah, I know, I know. Whatever vaccine makers are doing, like they got to look inside his body because somehow he survived mm-hmm. it all, which is pretty incredible. Uh, anyway, I um, look, I was just kind of, you know, mucking around online and I, I took a photo of, of um, Bolsonaro looking very sick in hospital and I, I tweeted at Warney saying, uh, 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 hi, um, Shane, my uncle is in hospital. He's very sick. Uh, could you, he, you know, he's a big fan of yours. It would mean so much to him if you said, you know, send a message to him. He doesn't have Twitter, but I'll pass it on. Uh, thanks so much. Not expecting anything. <laughs> and the next morning I woke up and he'd responded saying like, hey, mate, uh, you know, we're all pulling for you. Good luck. Your family uh, love you. And <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, I took advantage of, of, of them. Yes. I know, I know. I, I'm the dickhead here. And there's no denying that. But it was, was very sweet of him. You know, he was a man who, uh, you know, was definitely an interesting character, but he did seem to be quite nice to his fans. And I, I think that's something, you know, meant a lot. 
Yeah, there's, I mean, there's that Larrikin kind of um, embodiment there, which Aussie is love and, and, we, and, and the celebration of that. And no doubt over the next weeks, we're going to see opinion column after opinion column after opinion columns, you know, mourning the death of the last Larrikin and how, you know, there's no, you don't make cricketers who have a sense of humor like Warney anymore, or who are as Larrikin-esque as Warney and all that. But, um, and there might be some truth to that, who knows? But uh, overall, um, the outpouring of grief from around the world, from everyone from Mick Jagger in England to, you know, Pakistanis in on my Twitter feed uh, is quite remarkable to see. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he was. Actually, I think Sky News last year or the year before did a, a Death of the Larrikin special with Rowan Dean. Of so maybe maybe they they'll have to, <laughs> have to update that. Um, but I know that you know, the news has been pretty grim uh the, the war that's mm-hmm. that's happening in ukraine is is very is very very sad i have a question i'd be interested to hear what you think sammy i mean mm. the way that social media works is that we when uh, the world's attention turns to something everyone is all about that all the time and you know everyone yes. from whatever different angle they are kind of look at it and, and see how it affects them and so you know you'll see you'll see that in journalism you know you end up with like oh like um stories like you know how will the war in ukraine affect sydney house prizes and stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but we, we we get so into it and it's in our favor seat all, all all the time all over the place and then i get the sense that we tend to like move on and that doesn't really mm-hmm. work with often the like protracted nature of, of war like we, we don't know how long this will last um but you know wars often take qu- quite a long time how, how do you think the world's attention will cope these days considering now everything's so fast and moves so quickly. Do you reckon we'll we'll move on? Um, I think look, if it ends up being a protracted war, like you know, it becomes an occupation and they're there for a while. And yes, there's definitely gonna be a a creep back up into the headlines of the next, you know, season finale of MAFs versus um what's actually happening in Ukraine. I was actually thinking about that with regards to um, and I don't know if this is something that will really come up, but um, Friendly Geordies, you know, uh, I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with Friendly Geordies. He's a YouTube co- you know, comedian, satirist, co- you know, a, a shit poster, I guess. I don't know how you describe him. And he posted a video very recently about Peter Dutton and corruption allegations around Peter Dutton. And all of the story featured a great deal of news clips and news stories from multiple media outlets from the ABC, from the Age, City Morning Herald, all of these things, which were accumulated to paint a picture. And when you see the comment section, it's always like the mainstream media will never report on this and the mainstream media will never talk about this, except every single thing that he had was taken from the mainstream media or at least 90% of the content. Um, So the difference is not in the fact that the mainstream media isn't covering these things, is that we don't then pause to accumulate everything that we've covered on one subject and represent it to the audience. Because when you do that, it's more of a hit. You know, if we take everything about Ukraine in like a, uh, that, that, you know, City Morning Herald did or The Age or the ABC did, and just take time to present it to the audience and go, this is all the stories we've done about Ukraine and the summary of all of them it might have a more lasting impact than the drip, drip, drip approach which 24 News forces you to have. I don't know if I'm making sense with that, but it's just something I've been thinking about a lot with, with regards to coverage. Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think there is sometimes a... Like, when you put it all together, you can understand how 
big and, and overwhelming these stories are, but I mean, they're of course broken down because a lot of the time, most people just want to see what's happening, the latest thing. They don't want to have to read you mm-hmm, know, the full mm-hmm. book that you could already write on what's been done. Um, but yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I think your point that a lot of um, so-called independent journalists or particularly people who say, you know, uh, the mainstream media lies to you or they don't tell you the whole truth or they're not telling these stories often rely on a lot of that, like a lot of mainstream media reporting to then make whatever kind of accusations that they make. So, look, yeah. you know, I, we spend this podcast, the whole point of this is to critique mainstream media, you know, the, the mainstream of mainstream media. Uh, that being said, like, you know, it's always about like, I tend to think sometimes with people who are like, you know, styling themselves as independent, there is a real benefit, you know, there are incentives for them to say, oh, you know, don't trust the mainstream media because the implication is trust me. Like I'm I'm the yes. one you can trust and, and, and pay attention to. So yes, it is, it is very kind of complicated and there's a lot to deal with it. But anyway, on to this week's episode. Now, we are going to just go through the news of the week. I also have a game, uh, Sammy, that I haven't even prepared you for, but there mm-hmm. is an article that I want to go through by Tony Abbott decrying the uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, Ukraine and linking it to, of course, cancel culture. We're going to play a Absolutely. game called uh, 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 Start Stop, where we're going to go through it and you're going to tell me to stop uh, when you want to kind of point out something that you think is not quite right. Um, mm-hmm. But and then, but before we do, let's talk about the news of the week, and we have to do some housekeeping. Which is, of course, first of all, thank you as always to our patrons. You know, you make this possible. Thank you for um, your support of the show. Um, if you do also want to support us, um, it's p a t r e o n dot com slash murdocracy, and it does mean a lot. We also had uh, a few weeks back. We asked people to give us a podcast review in the style of an Andrew Bolt editorial. And uh, you guys delivered. Um, here's one from uh, a user Biolith. Okay, so I'm going to attempt to read this in the style of Andrew Bolt. And if you know the style of Andrew Bolt, it's very particular and distinct. It's like he's telling children a fairy tale at, time, at night before bed. All right, so here we go. <laughs> as, as Australia's most read political commentator, I am, as you would know, no friend of censorship. (laughs) Free speech is essential to me, not being sued more often. However, I will make an exception for this puerile woker-than-thou trash, which panders to the adult babies of the lunatic left (laughs) and attacks in the most rabid manner the principal journalistic work of our great news corps, (laughs) while disingenuously pretending to present facts. As my friend Alan might say, shaft bags are too good for them. <laughs> to be Bravo. Fair, I, that I, was good. Yeah. I thought that was good. <laughs> and, you know, I've watched a lot of um, um, uh, Andrew Bolt in the last few weeks for my uh, News Weekly podcast. So I think I'm getting the cadence now. Yeah, I think I yeah. It's paying off great script, great delivery. Really enjoyed that. And um, th- th- this week, I thought we'd give a new challenge. I want you to give us a review that just subtly works in something that you don't think would be allowed due to a woke cancel culture these days. So, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe there's something out there that you think, you know, couldn't be made, a TV show, uh, something you used to do. If you can work it in, we'd really love that into a review of Murdocracy on whatever platform you like. All right, let's kick off onto the news. Um, The biggest thing in Australia going on this week, of course, was the flooding that's hit our East Coast. Um, As people looked for information in an emergency situation, our uh, previous guest, Amanda Mead, also a uh, media writer for The Guardian, 
noted that the closure of local newspapers meant people were looking towards local Facebook groups and, and WhatsApps, uh, WhatsApp groups for news rather than just newspapers. She said, the closure of lo- local newspapers in many of flood-hit towns in northern New South Wales has left some, pe- uh, some victims invisible and made residents increasingly reliant on Facebook groups for information. Uh, Rupert Murdoch's media empire stopped printing the 160-year-old Northern Star newspaper in Lismore last April, 10 months before the worst flooding in history hit the northern New South Wales town. Uh, The Star was one of at least 20 News Corp Australia mastheads which were absorbed by the capital city mastheads. The Star also lost its own website, becoming a page on the Daily Telegraph website, as well as going behind a paywall. Um, of mm. course, this wasn't just News Corp either. Um, Journalism, Education and Research of Australia President Alex Wake, in, sorry, Alex Wake in the article noted the ABC's coverage of the Lismore floods was quite good, but their coverage outside of that area was also not so much. So, you know, a lot of the media companies, their regional uh, coverage is kind of lacking. Sammy, mm. in this kind of situation, you know, where are you personally going to get information are, are you going to newspapers primary sources like the bomb local facebook groups and, and where do you see other people going i mean look if it if you're living outside of these towns outside of lismore outside of any of these regional areas um yeah you can rely on on your own bomb or you can rely on the uh, emergency app or you can even rely on these the abc front page and stuff to give you a summary of things it's the people in those areas and the people whose family members are in those areas who need more urgent, up-to-date news. And yes, there is a thing, you know, a, a validity to the claim that uh, newspapers anyway wouldn't be provided, providing that information. But social media has totally and utterly taken over in being more reliable because there's a lack of official news sources on the ground. And and there are journalists there. There's not denying that there aren't journalists in regional towns. They're busting their ass. They're working really hard. I know so many journalists in regional towns across WA, across Victoria, who provide so much good coverage, particularly during times of fires. But they always say the same thing. They're stretched thin. There's barely any resources. And they used to be better off, you know, a decade ago. So there is that. That, that definitely is a valid complaint to have, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I've I've worked and lived in regional areas and I know that, you know, the, these informal groups that have popped up really do serve a kind of purpose, particularly in, in news deserts or areas, even where you do have a news um, source, but of course, you're not going to have, you know, the, the resources of a capital city. You know, I was in, I was in Geraldton yes. in regional WA and, um, you know, the Facebook groups, they were often the fastest way to find out stuff because, you know, all, all of the infrastructure whether it's news whether it's um police or, or fire services that they, they don't have the same resources as somewhere like in sydney or melbourne so they're always going to kind of be a bit of a bit slower honestly um, and- even in sydney or melbourne though if you think about it you know we so much as journalists as working in newsrooms when something there's a massive fire in your city or there's some infrastructure damage or there's a bomb gone off god forbid or something you know you even reporters and journalists turn to social media for the up-to-date information you know to find things on the ground report you know commentary from from citizens and stuff so social media took that place a long time ago yeah exactly first port of call Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, journalists are also using those same Facebook groups or WhatsApp group uh, to find information in the first place and to, you know, respond to stuff, whether it's true or not. I mean, but we, we, I find it very hard to deny the fact that we have seen the hollowing out of regional media 
over the past 10, 20 years. You know, like there are projects in Australia that are tracking that. And some mm-hmm. of the pushback which came this week, um, th- there was some pushback from a few News Corp journalists who kind of took umbrage with the reporting. Um, I'm not going to name them just because I think that, you know, it was actually, it was a very tough week and, and uh, you know, rather than put it individually on them, this was shared mm-hmm. across a few people. Um, they argued that this piece focused on print publishing, uh, something that wouldn't have helped in an emergency. So like, you know, um, the, the the Lismore newspaper uh, that was uh, the Northern Star, you know, so what if they're not doing physical papers? It doesn't really matter when, you know, everyone's up to their arms or up to their shoulders in, in water because you're not going to be handing out physical papers anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they said, you know, they, they still do have journalists in the place. Uh, it's just they're not putting out physical newspapers. And the other thing they kind of took it like an issue with was that it was an attack on reporters who were on the ground, you know, doing a good job and and just under really, really tough situations. Um, One even tweeted out um, a shout out to the Guardian reporter who contacted me to try and get information for this piece, claiming it was going to be off the record. Two main questions for me, Sammy. First, what do you think of the criticism that, you know, this written at this time was an attack on journalists working in extremely tough conditions. And the second one is, what do you also think of the like critique of asking for the off the record comment? Can you explain to people who don't know what it is and, and say, mm-hmm. do you think that was a fair criticism? Um, I mean, look, in terms of, it, it's one of those things which you always have, you know, when you've got a uh, gun violence in America and someone's, some school's been shot up, and I'm, I'm not saying this, similar tragedies, I suppose you can even make an argument, but when there's gun violence in America, school's been shot up, people say, now's not the time to talk about gun violence, now's not the time to talk about gun legislation. Um, and, and people can argue both sides of that, you know, if not now, then when. Similarly, when there is a tragedy in regional Australia, and one of the problems within that tragedy, other than infrastructure and lack of support from the government, etc., is lack of reportage um, resources on the ground because regional newspapers and things have been gutted by big organizations. Um, is it a valid time to make that critique? Is it a valid time to point out that problem? Um, or should you wait a few days until things settle down? I think it's a valid time to point at that problem. It's, it, it is frustrating, no doubt, for the journalists already working on the ground. But also, this isn't an attack on them. This is an attack on or a critique of the organizations that did take part in the destruction of regional newspapers, which has been an ongoing thing in news media across the world, um, at least in in Western nations, for a very long time. And then to address the off the record, on the record thing. I mean, when someone says something's off the record, it means basically that, you know, they're not going to put it to print. When When they say it's on the record, then that's what gets published, basically. But... To say how dare you call me up and say, you know, to question me or to to uh, interview me off the record, that's, I'm not sure why that is a problem. Journalists do it all the time. It's part and parcel of our um, methodology. It's one of the important tools we have in our toolkit. And, and to be able to call someone up and say off the record, I just want to you know, run this by you or want to pick your brains on this. Um, I'm Again, I'm not sure what's offensive here. I'm, maybe I'm missing something. I think the the point that they were trying to make is that you were coming to us for dirt when we're literally on the ground reporting on floods and... Um, I don't know if it's dirt, though. How is just reporting on the fact that there's not enough resources in uh, you know on the ground and those reporters could have benefited from more resources if their regional newspapers and stuff still able to help them? How is that dirt? It's not, you know... It's yeah. Just, it's critiquing yeah. a system. It's not critiquing the individuals. And I think I Would, can understand why yeah. the individuals might feel aggrieved, but still. Which is funny because 
out of anyone, you would hope a journalist knows that. Like, you know, to mm. to share some of how I do my work, there will be times when I contact someone off the record because I, I, I know that they can't, for instance, speak on the record, so I can't get anything from them there. But I might just be like, I've, I'm saying this, like, is this crazy wrong? Because at the end of the day, you're trying to, you know, reflect what's actually happening and maybe someone can't, uh, you know, tell you something on the record, but maybe they say that's bullshit and you're like, well, great, I should probably go and look into that some more and and back it up because you know maybe they're bullshitting me but at least like i can get a sense from other people and try and you know tell the truth as much as you can so you know to, mm-hmm. to go to a journalist and say hey like you know the floods are happening right now and like do you think that there's been like changes in the organization that have affected this that man it's harder to do your job to give people information like you could just say if you really think that your company has done everything perfectly you can just be like off the record we're good like we're gucci like everything has been yeah, fine yeah, yeah. so far and and like i actually don't think there's a story there like that's fine i i don't think like inherently there's anything wrong about like asking someone to just confirm something off the record and if anyone like surely journalists should be able to say like it's okay for someone to ask questions like th- that's what we do all the time and sometimes the answer is there's no news and that like that that's just as as uh you know, important as well as telling someone there is news. There was, you know, journalists uh, is shoving microphones into the faces of people who just gotten off planes after being mm. separated from their families in Australia for two years. They hadn't had a chance to hug their grandchildren when there was a journalist there going, how do you feel? You know, when there's a terror attack, when there's a, 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 a flood, when there's a natural disaster, journalists are usually the ones shoving cameras in people's faces going, how do you feel? Tell us how you feel. It's And it's mm. always a thing that we discuss how inappropriate it is. A journalist to get precious about that is, I think, a bit um, hilarious. Yeah, yeah. In fact, actually, I saw this this week. I was watching a Seven News bulletin of the floods, and they did, you know, a package which is that you know pre-recorded um, collection of you know different video scenes cut together, not just an interview, but like you know they're out there filming and stuff during the day. And there was like one or two moments in it that I was like. Oh, I actually think they went a little bit too far in capturing it. One was talking Mm -hmm. to a a mother, a a young mother with a young child who'd lost everything. And like the journalist kind of asked some really like probing questions. Like she was like, I don't have anything. Like I've lost everything. And um, the journalist said something trying to get this like perfect line where he was like, yeah, but you still got the most important thing of all in your arms. And and there was another moment where it was like, uh, there was a a guy, um, he was... uh, crying on the street corner and then his neighbor went over just to say you know like to and this was obviously he was uncomfortable crying as well you know it was it seemed like a private moment and his his neighbor went over to to, to try cheer him up and like the the camera was kind of shoved in their faces and in both situations I, look I, i'm a journalist i think you should be trying to tell the story of people on the ground if someone mm-hmm. is fine with you filming that's fine but in those situations i just felt like this felt like such a private moment that had been kind of captured in someone in a quite a vulnerable state and, and broadcast. And, you know, like TV journalism always has an aspect of that because people are yes. trying to show what's happening. And that often requires, you know, being in a situation that might be uncomfortable for someone. But like coming back to this, like, you know, bring it all back together, like this, you know, asking these questions might be uncomfortable. And, and I have no doubt that every journalist who is working on the ground there is just like working their guts out, like is giving everything, is yeah, dealing with, with, with the floods themselves. And and hearing these questions be uncomfortable. And and I, I'm I'm not critiquing, like I'm not criticizing them at all. I, in fact, I'm, I'm very empathetic to having a reaction to something being like, 
get off my back. Let me do our job. Like, you know, cover the community, help people. We can deal with this later on. That being said, I'm kind of, even though I understand that, I don't necessarily think that criticism of this article is is correct. All right. And actually, one thing in, in flood news as well, and now this is where I'm getting really, maybe I am being too much of an asshole. You got to tell me, Sammy. Um, news Corp announced okay. that it has committed a million dollars to aid in the recovery of the communities devastated by the floods and to help people rebuild their lives. That's what they said. Uh, Sammy, tell me, am I being a terrible, terrible person for being like $1 million? Is that it? I mean, they don't pay much in taxes. They can offer (laughs) a little bit more. They definitely have savings that we know, for example, from the stories we've done in the last episodes that, they're doing great financially. They're turning a profit with when so many new old new organizations are. Yeah, I think one million is a bit of a pittance. To be I don't know. I don't, is it like the 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 awful thing in me is just like if they'd given nothing, I wouldn't have like been out of nowhere. How dare yeah. News Corp not donate money? But the fact that they gave like one million dollars, it's I, I don't know. It's it's almost like a, a paltry amount. Okay, look, you know anything is good, and I'm sure it will help people. Yes, but ah, cough up, you know, just a little bit more. I know. know. Kick us some of that uh, foxtail money or something. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Hey, speaking of like people consuming news, there was a new survey that came out this week that says that news consumption by Australians is up and it's an increase of a grand total of 1%, which is actually quite a, a lot across, you know, the whole population compared with the same period of last year. Now, 20.4 million Australians consume the news at least once in a four-week period. Um, That research was done by Roy Morgan Research for Think News Brands, owned by News Corp 9 and 7 West Media. Interestingly, it showed that the the SMH is the most read news brand of all, uh, with 8.6 million readers. I'm kind of curious, Sammy, who are these 3% of Australians who don't consume a single bit of news in four weeks, you know, during coronavirus, during floods, like like all of these things? How do they do it? I think they're the ones who basically then watch your friendly Jody's video and go, well, why isn't the mainstream news covering this? Because they have no idea what mainstream news looks like, even though he screenshots all of it. <laughs> like, I, I don't know who's... Look, I envy them. Clearly, they figured out the best way of living their best life, which is just block out the news because it's a shit show. It is just depression. Yeah, it's <laughs> It, it is depression mainlined into your veins. And um, you know what? If I had the ability, I would be one of them. Unfortunately, I'm a news junkie. Yeah. But, uh, yeah I, My I, curse. I do <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I Look, I mean, 1% probably, given the, the survey amount, um, may just be within the margin of error. And margin so, of you know, error. Right. Maybe it doesn't actually show anything significant. But it's kind of assuming that it does. I, I don't know. Like, I guess maybe last year people were super fatigued by COVID news. They just had a COVID Christmas. Now things have kind of like been a little bit better. I, I, I don't know. It, 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 I mean, look, maybe maybe I should be more positive. The fact that 97%, you know, almost every Australian you see kind of consumes some of, of mainstream media every every month. That, that's probably a good thing, right? Like, you know, Australians... I don't know. By Is and it large, clearly... Clearly, Australians are men- their mental health is suffering from this. Yeah, addiction. that's true. So, Although, like you know. Australians, by and large, despite I think all the chatter, tend to be like quite well-behaved citizens mm-hmm. who uh, you know like know about oh, the world absolutely. around them. Like, like, and I think about this during the, the vaccine stuff as well. Like, you know, despite all the chat about anti-vaxxers, a lot of which you know I was doing, 
the vast majority of us just went and got vaccinated. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we, there's a lot of talk, I think, sometimes about this stuff, but we tend to actually be fairly like, you know, uh, law-abiding, rule-following, uh, kind of polite and informed Australians, uh, uh, people at least. M- maybe yes. I'm being a bit too... Or like, better or yeah. worse, yes. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, exactly. Um, now, as if working at Sky News didn't already have uh, its downsides, but here's another. Uh, staff at the video arm of News Corp have had their personal identification details uh, stolen during a major hack um, of a third-party provider. So this was reported by Nines Zoe Samius, who wrote, the payroll mm. provider Frontier Software suffered a cyber attack last year that revealed full names of and, and banked account numbers of staff who worked there. Um, Nine Radio, which runs 2GB, 3AW, 4BC, had also been affected. Um, look, you know, n- not ideal. H- have you ever had your details caught in a in a leak or a cyber attack, Sammy? Oh, so many. I mean, uh, you know, you've got, I've got subscription to that service, uh, which is, I think it's Unroll Me or one of the others, which basically notifies you every time you, you know, your details are, every time a subscription service you use, has been hacked and therefore oh. your details might be available on the dark web. Have I been pwned? Um, Is that it? That's right. That's right. Have I been pwned? And um, run and by and train, by the way. I didn't know that, really. Yeah, so his name is uh, Troy Hunt. He is a oh. based in, in, I think, the Gold Coast or at least somewhere in Queensland. Um, I have this, uh, this is a total, um, uh, like divergence from what we're talking about, mm-hmm. but I like, if I'm campaigning for one person to get like an order of Australia, I think it's him. He, he runs his free service. Anyone can sign up for it. You can put your email it's in and, it, and you mm-hmm. can put your email in and it will tell you if, if anyone has, um, has like, if, it, if your details have been included in any email, uh, leak and, well, yes. Even like you said, you can proactively sign up for it and it will tell you. He even works with like the FBI who will say, we got this like massive leak from, you know, some cyber criminals. He puts it in there and just informs people. Just does it out of the goodness of his heart. Yeah. He's a consultant on the side as well. You know, that that's what I think like Aussie spirit is helping people out. He's the person who I want to see get, you know, Australian of the year and not Peter Gredlin. You know what? Let's campaign for that next year. <laughs> I, I think you make a very valid point. And I think that can be Modocracy's big push. But um, you know, I get notifications from them all the time saying, you know, stuff's being compromised, etc. My stuff is probably all over the dark web. I don't know. I can't, I can't, I'm running out of passwords to change. I've given up, you know, I can't keep coming up with variations on my password combinations and stuff. And so, Sammy, point, you have to get a password manager. I can't believe you haven't had this discussion before. It's so easy. I, People you know just, what? I, I, I have to, to do this. I have to do this as an okay. internet reporter, tech person. <laughs> if you don't already, if you don't already use a password manager, mm-hmm. it, it like plugs into your browser. You can get an app on your phone. It makes up these super complicated passwords that you don't need to remember. It automatically puts them in whenever but you how want. How secure is that then? Oh, but they're like, like, but they know that they're kind of like a honeypot for hackers. So they're super secure versus like, you know, dominoes.com.au where you use your same password yeah. that you use with your banking. Like, use it. I'm from Pakistan. Like, well, you know, when I was working as a journalist there, a, a thing I knew was that the intelligence agency had already been in my emails and was regularly in my emails. You know, it was a notification you knew that? I got often. Yeah, because I, For sure. you know, I got warnings from intelligence agency people from time to time saying, stop oh. writing articles about us, you know. Really? Um, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the, the idea that there's some people out there who might be able to access my accounts, I mean, all they're going to do is suffer deep depression when they see how boring and staid my life is. <laughs> You've made peace with it. Um, obviously, yes, I think News Corp journalists, 
you know, we would like to think that there are all these wildly rich, extremely debauched individuals living back in alien lifestyles. 99% of them probably just schmucks and schmoes, just like us, <laughs> trying to pay bills, trying to pay rent, trying to, you know, figure out where, you know, what recipe to make for dinner tonight. And uh, it's going to be very disappointing for the hackers. <laughs> yeah so no same here same here so yeah our commiserations with sky news stuff hopefully their uh, inner lives are a little bit more interesting than ours at least for their hacker's sake (laughs) so i have a new idea for a game i stole from another podcast which is where i'll read through this article just one that i picked this week that i found quite interesting from a news corp publication and you tell me, stop, when you think there's something there probably that needs to be observed, uh, you know, or commented on. Uh, this is Here called uh, Russia's Putin Gamble. Oh, sorry, Russia's Putin Gambles that the West is weak. And it's by former Prime Minister Tony Abbott. The, mo- the, the Minister for Shirt Fronting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is his moment. Uh, the yeah. bullying of small nations by big ones. The trampling of justice and decency in the pursuit of national aggrandizement and reckless indifference to human life should have no place in our world. Those were my words to the Australian Parliament on the morning of July 17, 2014, when a Russian missile battery had shot down flight MH17, killing 38 Australians among the 298 on board. If it wasn't yet obvious in 2008 when Vladimir Putin invaded Georgia, it should have certainly been six years later when he annexed the Crimea, that Mr. Putin was bent on the restoration of Great Russia and to hell with the freedom and independence of the countries that were once part of the Soviet Union. Yet since then, the Western democracies have culpably failed to boost their military capability while indulging acts of economic and cultural self-harm. Take the UK. Mm -hmm the West's second strongest military power. The total number of British defence personnel dropped from 600,000 in the 1950s to 300,000 in the 1960s and just about 150,000 now. Yes. In 2014, I was criticised for contemplating the dispatch of Australian troops to Ukraine. Fortunately, this became unnecessary once rebel sponsors relented and allowed the repatriation of our dead. In retrospect, Ukraine's fate was probably sealed when President Biden said last month that America might not respond to a minor incursion and definitively ruled out boots on the ground. No consideration for uh, for whatever appears to have been given to a no-fly zone as well. Okay, look, so far, nothing I really disagree with, even with the Biden thing, because we know from Ukrainian um, ambassadors and people, you know, Ukrainian government officials, that was a massive faux pas by Biden, which signaled to Russia a very big change. Yes. Yeah, I I think, you know, pretty reasonable so far. Yeah, yeah. Here's where it starts to get a bit spicy. Yet the West's bigger surrender has been economic and cultural. For at least 15 years, much of Western policy has been directed to reducing carbon dioxide emissions. In Australia, former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd declared that the climate change is the greatest moral challenge of our time. The British Parliament, along with many others, has officially declared a climate emergency Last week, the air raid, uh, air raid sirens wailed over Kiev's. John Kerry worried about that the Ukraine crisis would produce massive emissions and distract the world from climate change. Reducing emissions is an important policy objective, but should never be a government's main task, especially when it entails risking significant economic damage and putting national security at risk. Europe has been... I mean... Yeah. I mean, 
He's put emissions at the bottom of every priority list he's ever made. Like, it's it's not even on the list. It's usually on a separate page in a wholly <laughs> different list of shit to ignore. So, I, okay, go on. Sorry. I, I know. And I know. Also, why does he keep saying cultural? <laughs> There's oh, a thing oh, oh, coming here, you which worry. I know is coming. I know. And I'm don't don't going, you worry. He's, he's warming keep us going. up, you know? It's, it's, it's like yeah, when yeah, there are yeah. frogs in, in water. You slowly turn the heat up. Um, he says, yeah. Europe has been busily closing down coal-fired power stations in Germany even emission-free nuclear ones, only to become dependent on Russian gas that Mr. Putin can turn off and on like a tap. Here in Australia, we're set on closing coal-fired power stations without any baseload substitute, while our thermal coal exports surge to uh, record levels, uh, including to China, an even more dangerous strategic competitor than Russia. It's the private sector that's doing this, an unforgivable folly reminiscent of Lenin's reported quit Equip that the capitalists will sell the rope by which we hang them. <laughs> then there's wow. global. Then He's there's global. I, I know, I know. <laughs> then there's globalization, which has undoubtedly made the West the world richer, but at the cost, as we've only lately come to realize, of strengthening the West's competitors and exporting its exporting uh, sorry, exporting its manufacturing base. Free trade mm. should continue to be promoted but principally between countries with comparable standards of living and only between democracies that respect the rule of law. The, uh, uh, sorry, I yeah. mean, look, at the same time, this is, you know, his government, every government we've had has had a very cozy relationship with Saudi Arabia with, you know, many different non-democratic com- countries that, you know, right now we've got the, uh, the uh, uh, Scott Morrison government working to change the Great Barrier Reef status as a endangered environment with support from Saudi Arabia. So there's a very... Who we decide we work with and don't work with seems to be very up for grabs all the time. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, Sorry. no, no, I, I agree. I mean, like, it, it was uh, Tony Abbott who signed a free trade agreement with China. Uh, mm-hmm. That was, if I recall correctly, essentially just, like, organized and, and negotiated in secret until it was just sprung on parliament. Uh, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't, it's, it's funny that when you go from actually being in charge of things and, you know, when, you know, your 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 actions actually have, uh, consequences that you're then judged on it just when you become like a kind of think piece guy you know someone who can just comment away you tend to just change a little bit and and also should i mention you know he doesn't seem too uh uh quick to bring up the fact that he was doing this you know there's no mere culpa here he's just we shouldn't do this and i've always thought that yeah um i just want to point out, i call this the um, malcolm turnbull syndrome which is prime <laughs> prime ministers who, when they're no longer in office, suddenly become really aware of the consequences of their actions. But yes, continue. Yeah, exactly. It's it's incredible. Medicine should study this because all of a sudden, former prime ministers seem to grow a spine. It, mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, uh, the worst contemporary folly is the constant undermining of Western civilization, history, and national virtues. Partly, it is deliberate subversion by cultural Marxists, but mostly it's Here the polite acquiescence of yeah, I know, I know, of, diff- of diffident and historically ignorant people conditioned not to give offence. These days, the rights of men who want to be women routinely trump those of women who don't want to face unfair competition in sport. What religious on earth freedom has speech that got to do with Ukraine? What? It's not. It's not like that's the main reason. Yeah, because in Ukraine, trans issues were really distracting everyone. So and so, Putin was like, exactly. "This is my chance to sneak in." 
I mean, they were going to sandbag the border, but then they're unfortunately, uh, you know, distracted by the fact that they didn't know what kind of genitals everyone had. And that was really, you know, taking their mind off things. I mean, it sounds to me like his obsession with the topic is far greater than anyone else's when he's wedging it into World War Three. But all right, <laughs> keep going. Uh, religious free speech is still okay, just as long as it's not the Bible that you're quoting. Martin Luther King's famous plea that his children be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, would be denounced on most Western campuses as an example of colorblind racism. The amount of people who quote Martin Luther King as just, you know, without considering all the other things he said about race and politics and mistreatment of black people. Anyway, it's, oh my God, I'm just... There's a reason why Tony Abbott still holds the gold standard for worst prime minister in Australia, despite the fact that we have Scott <laughs> Morrison right now. And this column is particularly perfect example of that. Yeah, it's kind of like how, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but the um, CIA always uh, celebrates Martin Luther King Day mm-hmm. and they were like, uh, like they, they spent a lot of their time like trying to black Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so... But yeah, you know, all, all this, it kind of gets uh, kind of washed through the, oh, this is acceptable history now. Just the parts of it that we think are the least offensive and support what we're but, doing. Okay, yeah, anyway, keep going. Um, oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Please, you. you well, go. I mean, just like this, these culture, cultural debates that we are having, that our societies are having, um, are important and they're valuable, but they're not the reason military invasions happen. This got nothing to do with it. Hitler didn't invade Poland because Poland was too busy arguing about trans rights, nor did Genghis Khan invade fucking Baghdad because they were suddenly debating whether or not, you know, what qualifies as a woman in a women's sport. That's not why these things happen. This, to, to combine the two is deeply offensive to the people who are dying in these wars and deeply offensive to the people who are fighting these battles. Yeah. Well, I, I think the next sentence is the one that is really going to blow All right, mind. here we go. Monty Python's, uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian couldn't be made today due to the politically correct wowserism. Oh, my God. There's, look, <laughs> for starters... Tony Abbott would be the subject of Monty Python's Life of Brian as someone that they are mocking. He is exactly the kind of person who would, in if he was in politics at the time when Life of Brian was coming out, he would want it censored. He would want it taken off the air. Absolutely, hundred percent. Exactly. This this is this is so ahistorical because Monty Python's The Life of Brian was like picketed by. Like Catholics back when it came out, Hugely like so. if this came out when 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 he was prime minister, he would have tried to do something about it. Guarantee every <laughs> single thing that they now say. Look, Monty Python would never be able to do the comedy now. Monty Python then was criticised as being I too know. woke, as being too left, as making fun. You know, like not being respectful of the establishment enough. Or anyway, yeah. um, yes, uh, of course, Tony Abbott knows all about how comedy works and what makes. Yes, yeah, sorry, comedy. sorry, I'm yeah. getting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and it's so funny. Like you know, it's World War Three. People in Ukraine are being like bombed with these in, in awful, like you know, terrible, terrible weapons. And also, the greatest tragedy of all: uh, we can't make the Monty Python's yes, Life of Brian. Exactly. It's, it's really yeah, just a tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My heart goes out for for to John Cleese and and, and all of the. Here's others. the thing that everyone. Uh, and I wonder how many. Oh, sorry. Here's, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you go. Here's the thing that everyone doesn't remember: we've made Monty Python. 
that's why we don't need to make it now. That's why we make other stuff now that was influenced by it, inspired by it, a reaction to it, because it's already made. It already exists. That's the good thing about the world we live in. Anyway, mm. go on. Yeah. And I wonder how many students are still taught to take pride in Australia Day, which celebrates the founding of a country that's free, fair, and prosperous as any on earth. A Western ah. world that has spent two years sacrificing freedom to preserve life is hardly going to uh, going to sacrifice life to preserve freedom, or at least that's how it must look to the hard men in Moscow and Beijing. Yeah, yeah, because Moscow and Beijing is waiting on Australian school students to come save them. Ab- <laughs> that's, that's, well, mm-hmm. you know. also, yeah, of course, that had to be a hard. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Uh, as Churchill said of the Munich sellout in nineteen thirty eight. Uh, this is the first foretaste of a bitter cup that will be proffered to us year by year unless the supreme recovery of a moral health and martial vigor, we arise again and take our stand for freedom as in the olden time. That was Tony Abbott, the former Prime Minister of Australia. You know, look, you know Tony Abbott touches himself to pictures of Churchill. That's a given, and that has <laughs> been a given for a very long time. All right, that's a... I, I will happily take the defamation lawsuit that occurs from that statement because it is 100% true. Now, separate from that, um, here's, here's the thing. You know the thing that he just said, which is about, you know, freedom-loving nation, you know, the Western nations that, that are like Australia that are so great and so on. We are great and wonderful because we have these debates, because we are constantly striving to be fairer, to be kinder, to be more protective of, of the people within our society. You know, those debates can be ugly, but the fact that we are able to have those debates and continue to have those debates is what makes us good. Because I can guarantee you right now, those hard men of Russia that he so wishes we were, we have killed gay people regularly. There's no legal protection for, for discrimination. There's no legal protection for hate crimes against LGBTQI people. There is constant persecution of homosexual of homosexuals, of trans people, of many of these people in society, marginalized groups. If, if he just say you want to be more like Russia, in the end, just admit that you wish you were more like Russia and that you were in a bear hug with Putin. Um, and that is what, you know, in the end is what you're after because the idea that a free and fair society should exercise its freedom and fairness, which is what is makes it worth living in and fighting for in the first place, and that doing so somehow makes us weaker? Fuck you. When was the last time Tony Abbott had any fight? When was the last time Tony Abbott... You know what? Trans kids can get into more physical fights in schoolyards than Tony Abbott has ever been in his lifestyle. We're not all women that he can punch the wall at to, so, to make himself feel more macho. There. That's what I have to say yeah, about that. I... I, I... <laughs> No, no, I, I, I find it bizarre that people are like, you know, well, I mean, I think like, you know, the true sign of, of, of strength is tolerance, being able to defend the ideas that you believe in and tolerate, um, you know, people, you know, questioning things and, and having good debates and discussions about it. Uh, and look, I, I mean, when all these people are talking about Russia in this way, saying, you know, the reason that we're, we're, we're not, you know, the reason that they've attacked us because essentially that they argue that we're weak because we allow this. Well, doesn't that mean you want to be more like Russia, who's now entered into what appears to be um, a fairly suicidal war, mm-hmm. like a war that even if they do defeat Ukraine is going to cripple Russia from like a, a, a semi, at least semi, but potentially like sociopathic uh, a leader who's who obsessed is with macho. Increasingly isolated. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. exactly. That, 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 I mean, do we want to be more like them? Because it looks like they're, they're about to, in the end, like lose a war. As for the Churchill comments, I'm going to let those ones go through to the camera. <laughs> 
All right, well, that's it for us this week. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you aren't already subscribed, um, I don't know how you are listening if you aren't subscribed, but you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or just about everywhere um, you know you get your podcasts. Or join, and also please join our Facebook group. It's Facebook at Murdocracy. That's M-U-R-D-O-C-R-A-C-Y podcast. Um, we're going to have... And also, new- I'm going to jump in here and say that if you haven't already, you should also check out Sammy's podcast, News Weekly. That's right. Thank you very much. It's a W E A K L Y is the big pun over there, and it's a 15 minute punch to the headlines every week. Um, I also want to thank Kevin McLeod for the theme music, uh, the ABC for the recording for the archives, Ruby Innes for our artwork, and of course, thank you, Cap. Thank you, Sammy. See you guys next week. Bye.